welcome to episode 114 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We are coming to you on the Blue Jays off day, and the dominant story surrounding the team these days is, whether you call them this or not, the Buffalo Boys. And uh, despite the fact they're all older than Vladdy, I believe. Um, (laughs) And uh, I think... All of them except for Schneider would be older than Bichette as well. Uh, so, boys is a bit of a, eh, you know, it's a, it's iffy terminology here. But what is your impression of what these guys can do down the stretch? Because clearly what they've done so far has been excellent. And uh, and where are we going with this cat, this sort of ragtag bunch? Is it just a <laughs> fill-in brigade or are we looking at some guys of interest further down the line because we talked a little bit about Schneider last week but these other guys as well yeah it's been a really obviously interesting uh run that they've had um I hesitate to call them the (laughs) Buffalo backup quarterback syndrome boys but uh there's an element of that to it I think but also you know uh I remember the way we talked about Whit Merrifield at the start of the season where it was just like, I don't think this is going to last, but you just, you got to ride the hot hand while you can. And that was kind of how some of those positions that the Blue Jays had, had you know, were, had set up, uh, were, were, were supposed to function. Um, the, whoever has the hot hand, uh, if they have the versatility to kind of find a spot in the lineup that makes sense. It doesn't have to be the same place every day. Um, they should get the run and the, these guys have proved something, right? And I, I mean, I think that there are reasons to think that, uh, some of it could be real. You know, Ernie Clement made a, a change. You know, he's, he's the, the elder states, but he's barely a boy. Uh, <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's closer to my age than Vlad's practically. Not true, but, uh, but, but, you know, he did, he did something meaningful in, you know, his approach that has, has really unlocked his results. And I was skeptical because of the low, low, low walk totals and strikeout totals. Um, in Buffalo because of the way that um, the the robot umpires, the ABS system uh, has perhaps aided players in the international league. And, you know, there's a huge amount of context that you need to take those numbers with. Uh, I think the, the, you know, the Bison's offense as a whole is like middle of the pack in uh, that triple A league. So it's kind of, you know, uh, that's why that, that's why that backup quarterback syndrome thing is in my back pocket, but you know, credit to them for what they've done. Horvitz has looked like a, like uh, a guy who could contribute at the big league level. And I think we always kind of, you know, maybe thought that uh, it's just his production doesn't, you know, fit the natural shape of a first baseman. Uh, uh, you know, I think I mentioned uh, like he looks like a raised guy at some point earlier in the year, uh, because that they you know they don't really necessarily care about uh, round pegs or square holes, and uh, you know another guy where you got to keep uh, you got to keep putting him out there, which is you know something that is infuriating uh, people when they're not seeing them in the lineup, and you know you can understand why. I mean, the lineup the team ran out on Wednesday, for instance, was pretty remarkable in how bad it was. And I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I know you're facing a lefty, so you're not necessarily going to see Horowitz out there and, you know, belts not available. And there, there are mitigating factors there, obviously, but I just, I remember having a little bit of shell shock just looking at, <laughs> uh, at that line. Part of the problem of which is having, uh, Whit Merrifield just smack there in the middle of it. Um, because he's just not been good recently and isn't really particularly good overall. And, you know, he had his run of home runs and he had his good start, but he is who he is. And just seeing him clean up a bit wild, uh, but that's neither here nor there. I I think that these guys need to be evaluated on sort of a case by case basis. Like it's easy to lump them in as this one unit of, you know, because they're all playing well. They've all gotten the call ups around the same time of year. They're all 
playing a big role in kind of lifting this team up or at least holding this team up during an important stretch. With Schneider, like, I mean, uh, you're you're really kind of on to something. Like, the degree to which he's been dominant at the plate is just so hard to do that you have to take not that level seriously, but the idea that he can be a real contributor. You have to take that seriously. Like, you're looking at his rest of season projections and you're going down fan graphs. It's like WRC plus 114, 112, 113, 100, 103. Like, this is a guy who I think we have to think of as at least a decent hitter at this point. Not No one is the guy he's been, but decent. Horwitz and Clement are a little tougher to sell me on. You're right about Horwitz. A lot of the issue there is just the idea that he doesn't fit our conceptions of what a first baseman should be. But those conceptions aren't based on nothing, right? <laughs> like it's it's based on the fact that being a first baseman or a first baseman slash part-time outfielder slash DH, like the bar is pretty damn high to be a useful player because those positions are very easy to fill defensively. It's very easy to get a a veteran to play one of those roles, right? Like I think a lot of people are penciling Horowitz into some kind of role for the team next year. And it's easy for me to envision them just being like, oh no, let's just pay someone like a little bit of money to do that instead of going with the unproven guy who will have, I don't know, 20 games to his name by the time next year rolls around. I think that's true. You know, if you're looking forward to next year, then then Schneider has definitely proven it for longer and, and, and feels like more of a guy. Uh, still, I would, you know, I would, I would not, I would not hand him the keys to third base and then not have, you know, a, a, a contingency plan that was pretty strong in place, you know, because I don't, you know, we haven't seen that much of him. Uh, but you do feel good about everything you've seen from him, obviously. Uh, Horwitz, yeah, uh, you know, I'd, I'd knock him for not having any power, but apparently nobody on this team does, uh, which is absurd. Also, apparently at home is is where it's really been the the the, the worst. I've seen tweets about that, and and that's been something to follow all year. Uh, I saw somebody suggest that maybe that's even a worse problem than the runners in scoring position thing, which since that's evened out a bit, maybe that's true. Um, and it's not the ballpark. I don't know what the hell's going on there. But uh, but yeah, so that maybe like lowers the bar a little bit, though I think, yeah, obviously you would prefer to have somebody who looks more like the the traditional slugger, looks more like the Brandon Belt even, uh, yeah, which I- which is what yeah, what Horwitz looks like. He was what could be the poor man's version of maybe. Yeah, um, but you would just – I think they're just going to be belts kicking around. They're, you know, belt might even be kicking around, although he's kind of indicated uh, that maybe he won't be kicking around. But it it doesn't seem like that hard an ask to say, oh, I'm going to go find a veteran guy who can play first base or not really play a ton of defense, hit left-handed, and, you know, slug 450. It really doesn't. I mean, uh, look at all. Look at the numerous names ahead of Vlad on the uh, first base uh, leaderboard for WAR or for weighted runs created plus or whatever. There's uh, there are types. Yeah, and then then the Clement of it is like he's got some wild numbers right now. Uh, you know, he's got the huge BABIP. He didn't strike out at all at AAA, which is impressive. He hit more home runs than he ever had before. Like there's. There's something going on with him. I don't know. The more I kind of dug into him and I wrote about him today, the more I felt less confident um, just because he swings at, he swings at absolutely everything and, and his ability to make contact with absolutely everything is super impressive. But then the comparables you end up getting are like the Willens Astadio types, like the guys who 
are just cutting and making relatively weak contact all the time. And that seems like the most likely route for him. Like he's been, again, he's been very valuable in the sense they've needed a person. He's stepped up and he's performed well. But when I, when I think of the future, I even think of down the stretch when they have Bo Bichette back, you know, I'd rather have him on the bench than Mason McCoy against left-hander. Sure. Throw him the odd start, but he's someone who doesn't feel uh, as likely to play a role with the team going forward. And that's going to be delightful when, uh, though, I mean, nobody's, no, nobody's standing him the way that they are. David Schneider, obviously for obvious and uh, understandable reasons, but it's, it's going to be fun when they can't find spots for these guys. And Chapman in particular comes back and hopefully uh, doesn't suck the way he has for, uh, you know, four of the five months of this year so far. Uh, but that sort of remains to be seen. Um, a lot of a lot of salty folks out there. It turns out uh, they've watched a lot of uh, frustration and uh, and failure this year. Well, that's a big part of the story, right? Like obviously, when players perform well and there's sort of an underdog story and there's novelty, like those that invites people to jump aboard and be enthusiastic. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't be by any means. Like it has been very legitimately fun to see Schneider and to a lesser extent Clement, but he's come up with some big hits uh, as well. Even a little bit of Horwitz, although we've seen less of him. Like it, it is a fun storyline, but I think that part of it is just people are so frustrated with the existing cast of characters, so annoyed with the constant, you know, underperformance in their view most of the time that's fair like vlad has underperformed chapman has like you said for most of the season underperformed even though the overall numbers are solid springer a lot of times underperformed like the catchers they're so sick of seeing these players that they're very familiar with not do quote unquote what they're supposed to do and suddenly have these guys that are new and fresh even if they're uh, not as young perhaps as uh, sometimes call-ups would be overperforming by a significant margin and it's just so refreshing as a comparison point that people have dove in perhaps more than they would have under other circumstances yeah i mean man cling to something that that's positive about this team because there hasn't been nearly enough of that uh you know and i don't want to preemptively get mad about what i think people are going the way people are going to react uh to things you know down the line but also you know uh don't go getting mad if they go another way if they like i don't i hope nobody is like all right well you got your brand belt replacement you got uh your, your espinal visual replacement you got your mad chapman replacement like giddy up and we're gonna are potentially gonna get mad if they go a different way uh in the off season and build in some more talent i don't you know that's a straw man and i, I probably shouldn't have even brought it up but it, it, it feels a bit like that at this point because people are really really on board with these guys and uh yeah, they're, they're the guys who've actually given them something to be on board about. I mean, I, I, as much as I am reticent with, you know, any sort of like small sample run from guys who are, you know, who started the year uh, the back half of your top 10 prospects, if that, if even on the 30, uh, if, you know, coming into his third or fourth MLB organization, you know, there's reasons to, to be doubtful, but, um, but yeah, let's let's get a little hope because it has not been a hopeful year, and it, it uh, even as they've sort of you know backed their way into succeeding lately, it hasn't really felt all that inspiring or hopeful either. Yeah, I think the only 
the only guy that that type of talk would arise with would be David Schneider, right? It would be, and if I think it, that's the fair one, right? Yeah. yeah, that's the. I think that's the only one you could really have a conversation about, like the idea of like, oh, this guy's blocking Ernie Clement. Like that's absurd. I don't think anyone's <laughs> gonna walk down that road. But if it was David Schneider, and it's like, oh, they went and got a like a truly uninspiring veteran second baseman, and there's no clear route to him having regular at bats. Uh, I think that's where you'd run into that debate. It, it could be interesting down the stretch. I think this year as well, where I don't know, say Chapman comes back and he's really struggling, and he's putting some of these guys on the bench, and it gets to the point where people are like, they need to win this exact game, and therefore, you know, who cares about where Chapman has been and what he's done? You know, Ernie Clements, the guy hitting 400. You know, those type of conversations sometimes crop up. I tend to prefer to live and die with sort of quote-unquote true talent. And so I, yeah, I've i got a lot of patience for a match happen. But again, we don't need to preempt those discussions. You did mention that like lately they have seemed a little uninspired despite the fact you know they've won these series, but they've won these series against poor teams and they haven't got the sweeps, which it seemed like they would potentially need the sweeps, you know, last time we talked. And yet, I think the the whole discourse has been saved a little bit by our friends, the Texas Rangers. Because if the Rangers had just been plodding along kind of normally, the Blue Jays would still be out of a wild card spot uh, as we record, and they would there would have been all this talk about the opportunities blown and how they didn't make up ground when this was their chance to do so. And I, you know, that's still true to an extent. And they may come to look back on the stretch and, you know, they really let one go in Colorado, for instance. They may come to see those games as really difficult ones. But the Rangers are one and five in their last six, outscored 58 to 14. Uh, and they've fallen behind Toronto. And now this series is, yeah, it's kind of hanging over the season. Not that it's guaranteed that this is going to be the whole thing. They might split it and go their separate ways and they'll have to sort it out later. But do you see Texas as like, okay, this is the one target that matters right now. And this series, therefore, is sort of the biggest thing. I know I've even seen, you know, internet ad, like digital ads from the Toronto Blue Jays themselves kind of selling the importance of this series. I forget the exact wording, but I had a pop-up ad being like, this is the crucial series, blah, blah, blah. I forget what it was, even though the, you know, the Royal series is obviously coming up. So the fact it's even becoming a marketing point as well. Oh, I think it absolutely is, you know, a massive series, obviously. I think, you know, the, the Mariners are maybe, you know, due to fall back as more, more than they already have. Uh, and it's just, you know, this is a bit tangential to, you know, the, your question and your point, but like, what strikes me is like, is this, I mean, is this what the expanded playoffs is always going to be like? It's just you're watching just mediocre teams jockey for position for, you know, these last playoff spots and, and, and do things that mediocre teams do, like what the Blue Jays have done with runners in scoring position or the weird failures of the offense or like the way the Rangers have collapsed. You know, the, these were... Uh, these were not teams. The Rangers were not. Were obviously not a team that was the, the whose success was that durable. The Rays were the same way, and I mean, maybe maybe that's just every team's mediocre by a certain standard, um, except for like the real, real good ones, except for the Braves or whatever. But like, uh, yeah, it, it, it pains me to think of more years like this, and uh, where where you know that's just sort of where you are, where it's uh, where Ross Atkins could go on the radio in August and be like, well, you know, we're pretty much on pace for our projections 
which, uh, you know, the objective ones out there were saying, you know, 89, 88 wins. And it's like, well, that's not, that's not good enough. Like that is, that's like just so not far enough over 500 to be anything but, you know, a frustrating mess of a team. Um, so that, that, that strikes me as we talk and think about that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know that the series is a be all end all because of that though, too, right? You know, they could split it and they, the Jays, the Yankees, what are they right now? The Rays are, you know, I, I don't know if they have a division they'll be fighting for even by the time the Jays get to play them a bunch. Um, you know, we could see a lot still go on. We could see the Mariners falter. We could see the Astros falter. I think they're probably, you know, I'll, I'll go and trust whatever the, the, the preseason projections were and then and feel good about the Astros are better than and they're maybe – uh, you know they have issues of their own, maybe maybe not as uh, as pronounced as uh, as you know the Rangers all getting hurt and you know, Adolis Garcia went on the the, the aisle. Uh, we were talking off air about Cole Raggins or whatever that you're supposed to pronounce that uh, the the Royals pitcher who everybody's afraid of coming into the Rogers Center this weekend who was uh, with the Rangers until you know just a couple months ago when he was traded for Aroldis Chapman. Uh, you know the Rangers. Uh, I don't know. It's just that. It, there's a lot of mediocrity going on, and so it's hard to bet uh, against anything. You know, you got to bet on chaos and like in that sort of situation. So I don't know that it's that, that it matters. Just like this must-win run hasn't necessarily mattered either. Yeah, I think that if if the Blue Jays were to sweep that series, or even go, yeah, you know, I think either team going three and one could be fairly consequential, but. Yeah, a, it's, a split is an easy outcome to foresee. Uh, you mentioned that mediocrity, right? Like you can look at the National League and your team clinging to the third spot, like the, the equivalent Blue Jays are the Miami Marlins, who, as we record, have a run differential of minus 34. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the next four, the next three teams fighting for that playoff spot behind them all have a negative run differential as well. And they have a winning percentage between 500 and 514. And it is odd, like it, I don't know, it, it's weird because you don't know when, you know, people who are listening or people having the discussion, we've all kind of come to baseball at different times and we all have our own norms that we've established. And so, you know, when we started watching baseball, it really was, it was, it was the good teams that made the playoffs, like the really good teams, better than the Blue Jays are this year, better than the 2020, like a version of the 2023 Blue Jays that had less weird things happen to it offensively, maybe could be one of those like really properly good teams. But I think that's ingrained with us. The idea that making the playoffs means like you're a really good team, mission accomplished by the front office, like you're one of the elite squads in baseball. And as they've expanded this out, like you can make an argument as to what's good for the game, right? Like more people are engaged, right? We're having this conversation. I'm sure we have a conversation if the Blue Jays were absolute dog shit as well, but like maybe more people are listening, more people are interested in the Blue Jays, even in sometimes a kind of toxic way in 2023, uh, because all of this is within reasonable reach, like more fan bases, more teams involved. And so there's something good to be said about that, but it has changed the complexion of the sport. Like it is now more like the NBA or the NHL where making the playoffs is not a huge accomplishment necessarily in and of itself. And the difference in baseball is that the playoffs are so funky that one of these teams that's just not really much good 
can conceivably win as we kind of say on the podcast all the time the blue jays could still win the 2023 world series like that's a totally realistic thing to happen whereas in some of those other sports like nhl like nba like nfl those teams that sneak into the playoffs that aren't that good in the end they almost never do anything it's it's like oh you made the playoffs that was your achievement for the year here's your ribbon now fuck off like the real teams are going to play now it's not like that in baseball like the teams that sneak in can win it all potentially and that's part of what makes this whole arrangement so weird now is like before we weren't we were only letting in that elite club so it didn't Again, I don't know if matter is the right term, but it it didn't really seem odd if anyone won. And now we have created the scenario where, yeah, like we could see some peculiar champions uh, in the, and we already saw it with that Braves team, to be honest. Like you can yeah. see some really odd things happening. And I, I don't know, like I, I don't think it's fair for me to say if that's good or bad for the sport because it's pretty damn subjective. Like I, I, I don't know. I think it's cool that this many people are in the mix, but maybe I'll think it's less cool when the uh, Miami Marlins win the World Series this year. <laughs> well, it's what you said with, you know, what our expectations or our norms are, right? Uh, and I don't want to pretend like, I mean, there are definitely a lot of people in the traditionalist camp or even not in that camp, you know, on a lot of things who are who are not for expanding the playoffs. Uh, it's been a thing here. I think it sort of always has been in the background or at least since, you know, the the, the mid-2010s or the mid-2000s, right? You know, when, and, and that's sort of, that's what I come back to uh, as we're talking about this is thinking about like the 2008 Jays or the 6 Jays, whichever one was the was the really good one uh the first gibby one where it was like you know they they won they won 85 games or, or more than that uh and we're just behind two teams that just they absolutely could not compete with in terms of spending and now obviously the rays have proven that that's not necessarily uh the the barrier that it it, it once was considered uh but, you know, when you think about expanding the playoffs and how people for years have thought, you know, well, if they just had an extra playoff spot to fight for, the Jays would have had so many more successful seasons. You kind of, you know, you didn't think or I didn't think uh, until this, you know, until this season sort of uh, drove it home is that it also means that a lot of mediocre Blue Jays teams would have been in the fight. Uh, it would have been hanging off the, pit, the every pitch of a lot of teams that were probably just as frustrating as this one only not as noticeable because they were buried in the standings by july right so uh it, it it's just my mind and i think a lot of people's minds probably have not uh are no are not yet attuned to the new reality of how this all works and i think that's that's fair and it was to be expected and it's also a kind of understandable that uh that we're maybe not coming to grips with it or, or haven't been yet and 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 <laughs> just to look at this it's just like these teams are uh as you, exactly what you say in an earlier era we would have been like these teams are dog shit uh clearly just not good enough haven't shown enough uh which people have been saying all year about these blue jays um and uh it hasn't been true and it still isn't true because of not necessarily anything they've been doing but just uh the wide openness of the race yeah i think you make a good point about the blue jays teams and i think the most obvious peer to that is sort of the, you know, the 2000 through 2010 type year, you know, the Roy Halliday years, right? Yeah. And they were often respectable and maybe, you know, if these wild card spots went open, they might have been, they might have treated trade deadlines a little differently, things like that. And when you were watching those teams, because you knew they were out of the race, there was an 
element, I'm not saying that this is what fans want. I don't think fans want teams to not make the playoffs. But if you knew that Blue Jays team was just way behind, you know, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the 2008 team was a great example because they had that amazing rotation with Halliday and Burnett and uh, Markham and McGowan and Litch. And you were sort of enabled to pick and choose what you wanted to care about. Like you like, this is the player that I love. I'm watching the, I like, I'm watching Roy Halliday. I'm in love with watching this guy pitch or, you know, I'm a huge Vernon Wells fan and I'm just cheering for him to have a big day. And of course I hope the Blue Jays win, but I know that doesn't really matter so much. So as a result, I can kind of zero in on the things that I love about the team and kind of soak up that enjoyment. And and I think that that's probably a better feeling than people give it credit for because uh, we're so binary on the wins and losses and what's a success and what's a failure. But in terms of a fan experience, I think that can be surprisingly good experience. And what they're dealing with now is sort of the inverse of that where people are taking... I know the, the Buffalo boys are a little bit of an exception to this, but the idea of sort of taking time to pick and choose what you love about the team and really embrace the entertainment product and the thing you get emotionally attached to has sort of fallen by the wayside a little bit because there's this desperate fight for survival that's going on 24-7. And so no one is sort of sitting back and being like, oh, it's a Kevin Gosman start today. That's great. I love watching Kevin Gosman pitch. Not no one, but the majority of people aren't feeling that way because there's this whole thing looming over it. And I'm not saying you want to trade one for the other, but it is it is interesting how the structure of MOB changing has had a profound effect on the experience of watching these games. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. As you're saying it, I'm like, oh, right, shit. Yeah, it has. Uh, and even the Buffalo Boys thing, I mean, in a different context, which Davis Schneider's done, uh, well, first he probably would have been up sooner or, you know, whatever, but but doing the things that he's done would have been like a Brett, Hor- Brett Laurie kind of hope moment where, you know, and we've talked about this this year before as well, like reflecting on the missed opportunities of previous years for the Blue Jays, where, you know, the, the, the hope is fleeting because you see the end of this thing coming and we are that focused and obsessed on, uh, on the standings because it's so easy for them to look like contenders. It's so easy for every team to look like contenders. It's the reason why you know there aren't as many you know uh, sellers at the trade deadline anymore or why you know you see weird things like the angels did i mean that's hopefully an exception uh you know releasing all their guys there at the end of uh, at the end of august but yeah it's uh, with the with with this different context you do still miss i think something even in something that's like that i mean like that would be just a, such a great story and it it is but but it would be a great story unmoored from uh all of the the hatred of of everything else that's gone on uh, with this offense this year. Well, it'd be a great story without the part where he isn't in the lineup one day, and that's a huge fucking deal. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I and, would like that. And yeah. like everybody, I don't know. I I guess you know he's younger, whatever. You don't have to worry so much load management, yada yada yada. But like guys get cycled in and out of the lineup. Like it, the fact that that was even sort of a mini news cycle, and I know that it's partly because it came up on the broadcast and the broadcast, you know, is generally not in the business of kind of calling out the manager except for the occasional in-game thing. But I, I, it was it just had a little bit of a different tone from, I think it was Jamie Campbell, which is kind of unusual. Maybe it was Caleb Joseph as well, that duo. Um, and I'm not saying they're necessarily wrong. Like it, it, you know, every game means a ton and David Schneider is the guy who's absolutely going and, if he's healthy to do it, probably a good idea to have him in the lineup. But it, 
it is it is odd to see whether this guy who no one thought was anything entering 2023 being in out of the lineup for one day is a life or death thing and i i get why it sort of is but it's just you know again yeah in another context maybe he'd just kind of be hitting seven seventy five percent of the time and we'd be like oh wow this is cool that this is happening absolutely and in a, another context and this is something i wrote earlier in the week yeah in, in another context uh the jays might be a little less uh disinclined that's the you know the, the <laughs> i'm saying that backwards uh they'd be more inclined to to maybe let him get some run as opposed to uh what i suspect is going on a little bit here is is not give these guys too much too soon not put too much on the shoulders of spencer horwitz and david schneider uh to pick up this team full of mlb veterans uh at the end of the year uh, who are fighting for a playoff spot and fighting for that thing that they've you know that, that they've been doing for in some cases better, the better part of a decade uh you know there there is something i think to the notion that maybe it would be a little too much too soon to start throw i mean he's in the he's in the middle of the order a lot or even at the top but like putting that expectation on a guy right away i can understand if that was the rationale and i don't know that it is but if that was the rationale there is so there's something to that too right like that's putting a lot on these guys and again in that other context i'm not i'm not pining for a season where the blue jays were were out of contention by now um but, but you know the grass is sometimes greener and, and thinking about it through this this lens um it does look a little greener in a lot of ways yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say, and we're about half an hour in here, that the plan for today's podcast was not to get nostalgic about the uh, Blue Jays that never really did anything competitively. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm happy we went down that road. I do want to talk about some of the starters today because there's a lot going on in this rotation right now. And one of the biggest things is Chris Bassett, who has had two huge outings in a row. And we sort of seen this this year where he seemed to have his stretches where he's really firing on all cylinders and then uh and then he, he had a bit of a bumpy stretch there now but after these two outings you know the numbers are all kind of lined up again what is the confidence level on Bassett do you think because I think there most of the time this season we've talked about it it seems like the idea has been that you know with Manoa not having the season that people expected uh, that Barrios is sort of the de facto number two and Bassett is the three. And again, you know, that type of labeling doesn't always matter that much, but also they are potentially on the road to a three-game playoff series. So it could end up mattering a lot. Do you see Bassett as as the number two right now with Barrios being a little bit shakier and him coming on? Uh, I think it's entirely possible. I mean, I think that the Blue Jays are in, in a position where they can ride the hot hand. And and yeah, I mean, like a month ago, it was like, oh, is Kikuchi going to be the number? Like, he was going so well. Uh, and that's been a little shaky, you know. And I think, you know, as opposed to some of his recent lineup construction, I think, uh, <laughs> I think John Schneider, when the playoffs come, ought to be kind of riding the hot hand, you know, outside of, of Gosman, who obviously is the guy who's kind of got you here. Uh, you know, Barrios has had a really good year. You know, the numbers, you look at it, it looks like, you know, the guy that you paid for, which is incredible considering last year, obviously. Um, you know, uh, it depends on who the opponent is, I think, too. And there, there's going to be those sorts of considerations. But uh, I, you're you're doing okay either way. Uh, you're not like <laughs> – it's not like your ace and your 1A, uh, you know, following uh, uh, Kevin Gosman. But um, 
Yeah, I think I think Perios is, or excuse me, Bassett has obviously put himself in the conversation to to move up that slot, and uh, uh, good on him, right? Like I don't know, uh, there's no shame in being third, Jose Barrios. I don't think that that's going to be the issue, and uh, uh, let's just hope it's a question we have to answer in a few weeks. Yeah, I think Barrios can easily be a three with what you're paying him, like a good three. Again, those numbers don't really matter until they do. Bassett's season is interesting because, you know, speaking of how we would have perceived things differently in the past, he's having that year that, I don't know, 15 years ago, people would be talking about pretty differently, right? Like he Mm -hmm. is leading the American League in wins. He might be tied at this point, but he's got 14. He is sixth in the major leagues in innings pitched as we record. Uh, he actually leads the uh, the American League in batters faced. I know that's not like a real stat that people care about, but the the quantity is there. His ERA is three sixty nine, which is up slightly from what he did last year, but kind of in the ballpark despite more difficult circumstances. And yeah, you know, he had a stat go up the other day about his eight double eight inning starts, giving up certain amount of runs as the only person since Roger Clemens to do it with the Blue Jays and. People don't think about him that way, and I don't think he deserves to be thought of as you know an ace or anything. Uh, you know, he just doesn't strike out enough guys for that, and uh, the home runs are a bit of a worry in certain parks with him because of the fly ball rate and their splits. Like you can pick apart his performance, and I think people do now. And I'm not going to say I'm not among those people, but it is odd that when you kind of zoom out and look at it with yeah 2005 brain or whatever, it is a heck of a year. No, it really is. It it really, really is. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll have to switch back on my 2005 brain. It's been it's been dusty at this point. Um, but yeah, even though those aren't the markers that we use, you still can't uh, take anything away from how good he has been. Uh, not the consistent is maybe not the word I would use because of the, some of those ups and downs. But when he's been good, he's been real, real good. Um, and you know, as 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 maligned as the front office gets for uh, just about everything, and you know, and, and fairly so in terms of like handing out free agent contracts to pitchers or handing out big money to pitchers. Uh, if we were talking a year ago, uh, they're doing pretty all right with these uh, the front four they've got, and even the fifth one right now. Like those are all, uh, you know, Barrios was obviously acquired by, uh, uh, by via trade, but they extended him. Um, They've they've hit they've hit on some guys, uh, so kudos to them, I suppose, as well. Uh, maybe grow some, <laughs> find some homegrown pitching. And yeah, uh, I, I was going to say but, uh, uh, part of that is because they've had to do that. But. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, uh, I I think uh, you know, the, there there are several people uh, who you could say you know the Blue Jays aren't where they are without this guy, and, and Bassett is 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 real high up that list. Uh, Vlad's at the bottom of that list, <laughs> unless you mean it in the negative sense, in which case maybe he's at the top of that list. But uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's been a really great year for him, and uh, it bodes well because there's definitely times where you know the wheels start to feel like they're coming off. Uh, the velocity isn't you know isn't real overpowering. Obviously, uh, the age is getting up there a lot of innings on that arm, and you 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 wonder about the back end of that contract. And uh, it would be very nice, you know, whatever happens with you know his teammates and their ability to to hit enough to get this team into the playoffs. Uh, it's nice to feel you know, going into next season that uh, that drop-off isn't ready to happen just yet. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned sort of the, the development issue. If Manoa ends up being broken, <laughs> like remember how he was always the one who's like, wow, 
they can't develop pitching. Well, come on, guys. They did get Manoa. <laughs> and so if that doesn't work out, uh, line, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not saying that it won't, but it, it is the, the big counter example has been a little bit nullified this year. And the big counter example himself, which would be a terrible nickname for him, by the way, um, <laughs> had a little bit of, I don't, I don't know, intrigue might be overstating it, but a, a little bit of a news blip this week where he's put on the temporary and active list at AAA. It seemed to be sort of a procedural move to free up a roster spot because he's not seemingly ready to to start. He's building up. It, it's Things are getting a little bit murky here in terms of if we're going to see him again in 2023. And I guess... What I find myself wondering is, does that matter? Like, is there an upside to him getting, I don't know, two, three good starts at AAA at the end here? Or if it sort of putters out and he never builds back up or whatever, is that sort of fine? I think that, I mean, I don't know that there's really a choice at this point almost, right? I mean, he could get in some innings still, sure, but... But the longer he is not off a of mound, the longer it's going to take for him to back up, and the less time there's remaining in the season. Uh, I don't think the AAA season ends on like the 25th or 6th or something like that. So we're talking like three weeks. Um, and you know how long? How many? How many outings can he get in even at this point? So I kind of assume that his year's probably done, uh, which is weird, which is understandable given how ridiculous it was. Um, but less understandable given how we don't know anything that's going on. Um, if it's more personal or whatever, you know, we don't necessarily have to know that stuff, but, uh, but it's definitely unusual. You know, this is a guy who got Cy Young votes last year, as everybody knows, opening day starter. You know, this is, uh, uh, the, 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 the thing, the, the things in his employment have become, uh, newsworthy and, and, uh, worthy of attention from fans. And, and that's sort of part of the gig so that the, there is, uh, this murk surrounding it all, um, is a bit weird, which is not in any way, you know, demanding that, uh, the team reveal what's going on. And, uh, you know, I, I you kind of have to take it on faith that they have his best interest in heart at heart. Uh, it would be real nice if more people weren't like they're screwing him up. This has been like this is ridiculous. I don't know what they're doing. Like you know, you know, and yeah, if they're doing the 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 worst case you can think of based on what little we know, then maybe 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 they haven't handled him well. I don't know that we know the whole story there enough to make those judgments. But yeah, it, it it's at this point whether it's worth it or not it seems immaterial, irrelevant. It's um, I I I doubt he could even do it. Yeah, I it's. I kind of assume that he's done at this point, as you said, there's just not much time left. The sort of issue that was relevant earlier in this process was the idea that Manoa was potentially your sixth starter. So if something happened to somebody, there really wasn't a good option for the Blue Jays, although Mitch White's back in the organization. So uh, <laughs> no, but like there, that was sort of the thing. Like they really didn't have rotation depth. And to be honest, the Blue Jays have been very lucky with the health of their starters this season because if they had had a couple of guys go down at any given point, they could have been in serious trouble here. They just really didn't. And that depth is hard to find, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, when you develop a little pitching, <laughs> sometimes you have guys at AAA who could handle a start or two and help you deal with a minor injury to somebody. They don't really have that. Uh, and so Manoa, in theory, could have been that level of insurance, a, a very weird level, to be honest. But he was potentially their best option because he could sort of survive in a way that 
we weren't necessarily confident other guys could. And then the the ship has really sailed on that. But the, at this point, you've got the expanded roster. You have an extra pitcher there. You have uh, Francis in the bullpen. I think you just don't really worry about that. I know that there's some talk that, you know, Trevor Richards has maybe been overusing these long stints. You would just be able to figure it out now with the expanded roster in a way that's, you know, a lot easier. You still have guys at AAA in the bullpen that are usable. You could shuffle some people around. So I... Yeah, I just don't see it as as a big deal if he's not available for any of that, which seems to be pretty clear that he's not. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure next year there will be plenty of discussions about what Manoa needs to do, what he's done, how he's changing in the offseason, what he's figured out, what he hasn't. Uh, and it's just it's too early to know any of that. We do, we There's just so much we do not know about Alec Manoa's 2024, unfortunately. Yeah, we need the before and after photos. Oh, which yeah. Which I'm sure people are going to be going over like the Zapruder film. The other thing, though, is like, I mean, at this point, uh, <laughs> like if if Ryu had gone down and uh, last night uh, or whenever the hell he last pitched, I don't I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, well, you're going to throw Manoa into the Rangers series now? Like that kind of wouldn't be fair to him. Uh, and I assume, you know, any of the series beyond that are also uh, – a little bit too uh too much to ask for a guy who has you know had the season that he's had and had the break that he's had to come back so um you know maybe getting him to some innings maybe just finishing up strong in triple a you know i could completely understand that i could understand them going the other way but yeah i don't i don't see uh <laughs> i don't see it at the major league level this year before we get out of here i did want to touch on ryu a little bit because was it yesterday? It was yesterday. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll Wednesday up. for our future listeners. Um, because I think that on this podcast, and I would say I'd been the driving force, but there's been general sort of skepticism and cynicism in terms of Ryu. Part of that is the velocity's never bounced back. And it's not like we have a huge sample here. We've got seven starts. But it's getting to the point where I think you got to kind of potentially respect what Ryu's doing at this point. You know, he's got a 265 ERA, expected ERA of 342. His, uh, you know, some of his numbers, his exit velocity is the same as it was in 2020 on average basis. The expected Wobon contact, 345, which it was 341 that year. I mentioned 2020 because that's like the good Ryu that Blue Jays fans remember. And he's got this crazy super slow curveball that's getting a lot of whiffs all of a sudden. And I, it's early to be like, I'm really buying in on this. But at the same time, you know, we're looking at seven games here, seven starts. And I think it's pretty fair to say he's exceeded expectations by a pretty decent chunk here. Oh, I absolutely. I remember at the start of the year being like, you know, poo-pooing the idea that he would even be able to contribute in a non-meaningful way. And here he is being, you know, a really important part of the the roster down the stretch as they fight for a playoff spot. Uh, another story to go back to what we said before where, you know, had, had there been fewer playoff spots to compete for, uh, we would really be appreciating this, uh, I think, a little bit more. Uh, because, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, with every start, I kind of have to re, uh, reaffirm my belief. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily – because of the, it, it's a lot because of the velocity – uh, it's just going to take some time to build, back that, build up that trust again. But just watching him pitch healthy reminds you of how great he was when he was pitching healthy before and, and also sort of indicates 
uh, probably how long he was pitching unhealthy and trying to make a go of it before he ultimately succumbed to uh, Dr. Keith Meister or whoever the hell it was that did the Tommy John. Yeah, and there's a, there's some mitigating factors here, right? He's never gone above five innings in a start, so they're sort of perceiving him as a two-times-to-the-order guy. Maybe not 100% strictly, but essentially that's what you're getting out of him. And opponents matter too, right? He started against Baltimore. That was the first start. That was the most difficult one. And since then, it's been Cleveland, Cubs, Reds, Cleveland again, Colorado, and Oakland. So not the most difficult run of lineups you could conceivably face. Cleveland also <laughs> several playoff contenders. I'll have you know. <laughs> Cleveland also <laughs> being you know a relatively respectable team in a sense. Maybe that's even an, that is an overstatement. Uh, but being like a, a real ish team, but also one that's notoriously bad against left handed pitching. Like things have yes. lined up for him in a really beneficial way. And when you watch him pitch right now, you know there are some great moments. The curveball is really cool. Sometimes he does spot the changeup. And the contact against him is undoubtedly soft, but that's the type of thing that's really hard to gauge over the small sample. Like how how much is he inducing soft contact, and how much are people just not hitting the ball hard because they kind of suck? Uh, it's tough. <laughs> like that's tough to parse over seven starts. Like it just really is. And for some Blue Jays hitters, it's been tough to parse over five months. Yeah, exactly. And so it's. It wouldn't shock me if, you know, and Ryu's going to pitch in this Rangers series. Like, it wouldn't shock me if at some point there's a really ugly moment here. But as you said, kind of using that brain of let's appreciate a good baseball story and something that's fun to watch. This has been a better story than I possibly could have envisioned. And he has been, uh, he has been fun to watch. It hasn't just been a slog watching his starts as well. So something to appreciate, perhaps, even if it's a little difficult to have confidence in. Yo, we couldn't couldn't agree more. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite Blue Jays pitchers uh, to have watched the you know with this with this level of intensity um, over the course of my life. You know, not, not way way up there, but uh, just a guy I, I have a lot of time for watching pitch. All right, we will leave it there, and uh, the next time we talk to all you guys, it will be. At the very least, into that Ranger series, perhaps at the conclusion of it. And we will know a lot more about where the Blue Jays stand. And we, as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in, leaving ratings and reviews and that kind of algorithm boosting stuff is always nice. And we look forward to talking to you then.